0: Well, bless the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Lord, I thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you all the days of my life. We bless the name of the Lord. It's a beautiful night to be here, even with all of the rain. I only—I uh, never pray against rain. I've, ever since my conversation with Rabbi Aster, I've never prayed against rain again. I, I don't do that. But I, but I do wish the Lord would share it with California. Uh, I'm not praying against it. I just like to relocate it. Uh, they, they are in the midst of a drought and fire at the same time. Uh, this, this type of rain here could have put some fires out. Uh, it has been some kind of a soaking day. And now it looks like snow right behind it. <laughs> New England, that's all you can say. New England. Blessings on you. Let's, uh, let's take a few minutes. Um, I've been working on an idea and of course you've been uh, the recipients of my experiment. Uh, As I've been looking at this topic of I need more, um, I gave to the um, AV ministry the points of the message two weeks ago. And in each of those sermons, each of those Bible studies, I was only able to get to the first point. So I'm at now the third point of those three points on which would have been lesson 13. Uh, If this were a book, this would all be part of the same chapter, so it makes sense the way in which I'm trying to do it. But just for clarity's sake, I want to make sure I go and just say a word about those first two points briefly and then enter into the third point, which is going to be the focal point of our conversation. I, I, I said that there are three things that God wanted to do, or God wants to change for you, that God wants to change for you. The first of which I said was that God wants to change your character. Now, as you've noted, uh, if you've been in this series at all, this is a word I've pushed several different ways trying to make this point. But I want to reemphasize again, God wants a character change. That is, whoever and whatever you are, he wants it to be more like him so that I become more like Jesus or more like God in this case. And that's important that you get a character change because the character change will also work on your ability to forgive. And let me just not say your ability, let's say your desire to forgive. Your desire to forgive. All of us have the ability, not all of us have the desire. And uh, it is important if you see those who have the change of character, even at Calvary, Jesus is still forgiving. Dying on the cross, he's still forgiving. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the character that God wants to have. If you remember when Stephen is being stoned to death, that one of those first deacons, the deacon character in him was that even as the light of God was radiating from him while they are stoning them, he is forgiving them because they don't understand what you're doing. You, you, you're lost. He, he, Jesus forgives. Stephen forgives. Each of us who have the character of God know how to forgive others to walk in our own forgiveness. Amen? And Moses had something to forgive them for. They had messed up on God and, in effect, had messed up on him and embarrassed both themselves and him before God. But the second thing we talked about is that God wants to change your concerns. Your concerns. And that is what you're concerned about, God wants to change it to what God is concerned about so that your concerns become God's concerns. What God cares about, you care about. And in knowing certain terms, God cares about hurting lost people. God cares about the lost, least left out, left behind, lonely. And God cares so much that he has put us in position to do the caring on his behalf in the earth realm. And so we want to have God's concern. So God is still concerned about Israel Even though Israel has sinned, Israel has done everything it could have done to thwart their divine human relationship. They have created an image, put it up there, and then had the audacity of saying, here is your God. As though it were to be celebrated, lauded, and appreciated. And here God says, in the midst of it all, I'm still concerned about them. And I'm concerned about what they're concerned about. Chapter 34 says very clearly, God says, I'm going with you and the enemies that are before you, I will drive out. I'm concerned. I know you're afraid. You're scared you're going into battle and you're worried about what you're going to face. And God said, I'm concerned about what you're concerned about. And that's a powerful word. You know, I I think each of us needs to realize that God is concerned about the things that are concerning you. And that ought to make anybody happy. Amen? But the third thing that God wants to do, and this is where we focus our energy tonight, is that God wants to change your countenance. Your countenance. And that is that God wants to change the way you look. Amen? He wants to change your countenance. With that in mind, Join me again in the book of Exodus, chapter 34, I believe it is, beginning at verse 27. Here's what the Lord says. Then the Lord said to Moses, write these words, for according to the tenor of these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate Bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hands hands when he came down from the mountain, and Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him." So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face, they were afraid to come near him. Moses comes down from the mountain and his countenance is changed. This is a very interesting text. And it's interesting because after Moses has spent time with God, God does something special in him. God does something enormous, and he, he does something that is, that is beyond the norm. And what is it? Moses has learned how, and this is A, to be in relationship with God. That the relationship with God will cause your countenance to change. The relationship. Now, what do you mean when you say relationship, Reverend? I mean that fellowship with God that, that time with God is going to change how you look and your outlook. Not only how you look, but your outlook. Going back again to the concern. Time with God will change how you look and your outlook. So he's there spending time with the Lord. He is there with him. And the scripture teaches very clearly that he was there for 40 days, 40 days before the Lord, 40 days he spent in the very presence of God. Now I know many of us try to pray and we try to fast and we try to be before God, but 40 days is a long time. That, that, that's, that's some good time with the Lord. He's there. He's by himself. He's gotten so lost in his relationship with God that he, he's not paying attention to the animals. He's not paying attention to anything on around him. He's not trying to see the sky or anything else. He's there in the presence of the Lord. He's there before God for 40 days. He just said, God, I just need you to move. I need you to speak. I need you to show, I need you to be in me. I want you to talk to me. I want to be in your presence. I'm not going anywhere until I get this blessing. I've been asking you to show me your glory. Now you give me this appointment with you. We're going to make the most of this time. I'm not leaving till you tell me to leave. Unless you put me out, I'm going to be on this mountain until you tell me it's over cuz I need something from you. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to hold on to you like I'm holding on to the horns of the altar. i have me a Jacob wrestling experience. If it means you have to put my hip out of place while I hold on to you as the angel of the Lord, I won't go anywhere because this relationship is too valuable to me. And one of the problems with people is that we want God to be with us. We want to have an anointing. We want to be deep but we don't want to do anything to get deep. We want to be deep, but we don't want to do anything to get deep. I am, um, you know, I, 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 I tried to play golf. I try, I try. I'm not like Deacon Wilson. I'm not like Deacon Wiggins. Those men play golf. When I'm out there, I'm a hacker. I'm a, I'm a worm burner. I kill worms. I, I promise you now, I just, I play. But there's a real difference in why they are so much better. They're older than me, they're, 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 they're ancient. We don't call them senior deacons for nothing. Deacon Wiggins is 80 years old. And I promise you that most of you young golfers in here, he can outdrive you now with his three wood. Now in case you don't know golf, your driver is the one that goes the farthest. The three wood does not go as far as the driver. He'll let you hit your driver, he'll hit his three wood at 80 and I'll drive you. So I, I, I get a little, used to get a little upset about this. These old jokers out here hitting the ball, that doggone Wilson used to make me real mad. Uh, back in the day. Deacon Wilson used to decide, when we played Cossack, you got to play over the, the street. The street goes right past. You hit from this side, over the street, to the other side, and then you got to take a left hand turn and get over here on the, on the green. And Deacon Wilson, being funny back in the day, used to decide am I going to cut the corner or am I going to turn the corner? <laughs> <laughs> What does this mean, Dick? Well, if I cut the corner, it means I'm gonna go up high over these trees, over the parking lot, onto the other side and land on the green. But if I turn the corner, I'm gonna send the ball down 250 yards and make it turn to the left, going up to the green. The first time I heard him say that, I thought he was lying. That joker did it. I was was messed up. So then I kept playing with them. I thought I was going to get better. I kept playing. They were getting better. I was getting worse. They were getting better. (laughs) They were patient with me. I would hit my ball, and sometimes it would go where I wanted to, and sometimes we wouldn't find it. It was all grass, but some of that grass would hide my ball. Something would steal it. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. So how does an 80 year old outhit a 50 something? <laughs> now I'm gonna give you the deal. I would arrive at the course, tea time at 10 o'clock. I'm gonna get there about quarter to 10, run to the court, the house, pay my fee, get on the cart, and go hit the first shot. They would arrive at 8 o'clock. 7.30 they be there two hours, two and a half hours, they just be hitting oh watch cha oh, cha 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 they have just got started sweating and everything and then they pull the card up and wait for me. <laughs> so I'm walking out hitting my first shot, they're walking out hitting their hundredth shot who's gonna play better? The one that put the time in I'm going somewhere you can't expect that if you only spend a few minutes praying over your food and two or three minutes praying before you go to bed that you're going to have the same relationship as somebody spending hours before the Lord in prayer. It can't work like that. You'll be just like me on that cart. Sometimes you'll hit it and sometimes you won't. You used to ask the question, "What's the way to get to Hart Carnegie Hall?" The answer was practice, practice, practice. The reality is, if you don't put the time in, you cannot expect to get the results. I remember we used to pray all the time, y'all. You, know, you, you, you. Fortunately, you weren't ministering music, music back yonder, 6 a.m. every day. Musician be on the keyboard, rain or shine, prayer. Noontime, saints get together on Wednesdays, pray. Come to Bible study. Spend an hour praying before we start Bible study. Now, there are times when the believers want to come in. Believe, I do a couple praise and worship songs. I pray a good, strong prayer. I enter into the ministry I enter into fellowship with God through the speaking of tongues and through the worship of God and I'm going to be at the same level I was at when I was spending the quality time with God that I needed. I know I'm preaching tonight. The relationship is built on time and some stuff You got to put the time in. Now, uh, help me here, man. When I was younger, we used to do a song that said, Put Your Time In. Do y'all remember that? Now, see this, y'all. See, y'all ain't. Y'all. I'm going to help y'all. Put your time in. Payday is coming after a while. Put your time in. Payday is coming. Put your time in. Put your time in. It is coming after a while. Now, you you have to learn to put your time in. Hello? You're not going to get it without putting some time in. You're going to have to put your time in. But the second thing, which is the B portion of countenance and, and how you get your countenance changed here, is that you have to relinquish some things. Relinquish. Um, There's a a fancy word called abnegation, uh, which is a nice way of saying self-denial. Because, see, not only was he there on the mountainside, but he was in the midst of 40 days of fasting. Now, let me, let me do this again. He wasn't doing the Daniel fast. He didn't have nobody, didn't bring him no water cooler up there. He didn't have nobody giving him no chewing gum in between meals. He, he, he didn't even have the fruits and vegetables. You know, when you think about the Daniel fast, when, they, when, when those men finished fasting before the king and would not eat of the king's table, the Bible says that their countenance was the way that they were going to determine if their diet was good and working or not. And when they finished doing what they were doing by eating a plant-based diet, they came out and their countenance was looking so well that they let them continue their diet. Are you with me? So that their sacrifice, their self-denial, created a change on their countenance. Are y'all following it? Their self-denial created a change. They gave up the king's meat for a plant-based diet. And their countenance showed that they had been doing what God wanted them to do. So they looked better. But when you give up food and water, normally you look gaunt, you look tired, you look wrinkled. Hello? You're going to lose some weight. First weight you're going to lose is all water. You're letting it out and you ain't putting nothing in. Muscle mass will start going. You'll get weak. Forty days. It it usually don't take but 14 for most people to begin to starve. And if you're sickly, even death. Hello? Forty. No food. No water. But when he comes down, he's shining. Come on back again. If Daniel's fast and this text have any collision, they come in with this. That when you deny yourself on behalf of God, God is going to bless you. Teaching here tonight was, there are some things you have to relinquish in order to receive. And the reason why you can't receive is you're too busy holding on to that which God told you to release. If you hold on to that which ought to be relinquished, you can't get that which God wants you to receive. And sometimes we're holding on to what God already told us to let go of, and the reason we won't let go of it is because we're too insecure and immature to trust God that if you let go, I'll catch you. Uh, There's a movie... Old Clint Eastwood movie called the Iger Sanction. I don't know if any of you ever saw it. It's an interesting movie about mountain climbing. By the end of the movie, Clint finally figures out who the person is that's the, the bad guy. And the bad guy in the movie is, happened to be a person that he thought was his real friend. Clint comes down the side of an icy mountain. He's dangling off the mountain. Below him is death. But the only way to survive is a tunnel that's coming out of the mountain, and there his old friend is standing, and he throws him a rope. He gets the rope. He said, tie it around you. Clip it in. He said, and then what? Cut the rope above you, and we'll catch you and bring you in. Wait a minute. I know you're the one that's my enemy. I know you're not supposed to want to help me here. So why should I trust you to cut the rope above me? He said, it's the only way you're going to survive. You can't stay up here. We can't stay up here. And if you don't cut the rope, we can't bring you in. So you have one choice. To trust me now, cut the rope and live. Or dangle on the rope and freeze to death and die. Let me whoo-hoo-hoo. tough choice, ain't it? Clinton finally pulls his knife out and he looks at him. He looks at the rope. Cause see right now, at least I'm still alive. But there's no hope here if I don't let go of what I think is securing me. Because what's securing me can only secure me temporarily. Let me help somebody here. You cannot make a temporary blessing the place you build your hope on. I don't care if God sends you to the old brook of Sharif and feeds you there while a raven. You cannot make that temporary blessing, that brook, the place you build your hope on. It's just temporary. It's not final. You've got to trust. He pulls his knife out. He cuts the line. He begins to drop. They catch him. They bring him in. I said to myself after that, I, I really struggled with the notion of having to depend on somebody that I wasn't sure if I could depend on. But I said to myself, even though this is movie, so stay in the focus of the movie. I said to myself, if if a man can trust a man who he's not sure is his friend, who he thinks is his enemy, and cut a line and believe that he'll pull him in. How much more should I be willing to trust a God that loves me? The one that promised never to leave me nor forsake you. The one that promised to be with me even until the end. If a man could trust a man, how much more should I trust the God of my salvation? Sometimes you're walking in fear, but the fear you're walking in... Is not of God. It's the fear of your flesh. Your flesh is saying, don't trust God. Your flesh is saying, what's in your hand is better than what God can give you. But your flesh is lying to you. God has always been the source of your supply. I don't care what the name of the company is. I don't care what the name that's printed at the top of your check happens to be. You have to remember one thing. Everything you have, God gave it to you every blessing you have, God has given it to you. Every miracle in your life, God has blessed you with it. Every healing, I don't care what the doctor's name was, that signed for your prescription or signed in on your surgery, it was God in your operating room. It was the angels watching over you when you slept last night. It was God walking with you down dangerous highways, through the valley and the shadow of death. It was God that was making a way for you. And if it had not been for the Lord, who was on your side you don't know where you would be sometimes you gotta give something up what do do I need to deny in order to allow God what do I need to give up what plate do I need to turn down What selfishness do I need to unmask in order for God to really bless me? Okay, that's A and B. I'm still on countenance. I got C here. C is request. Request. Because, see, Moses is not there just simply before God for himself. He's there on behalf of others. He's there as an intercessor. Okay, that ain't going to bless you if you don't get this part. You see, it does you no good just to fill up your bucket. Because once your bucket is full, you have no more room for anything else. It would be better for you to make a way that others can be just as full. Okay, okay, let me do it this way. Moses is up there, he's praying. He's praying for people that he already knows, stiff-necked, hard-hearted. But he's not just praying for them. He's praying that God is going to to intercede on their behalf. He's going to go and prevail over their enemies and that God is going to restore the covenant and all of the promises. And while he's praying for God to restore the covenant and all the promises, God said, I'll do something for you. Now, this is where it gets tricky, y'all. People that are selfish, self-centered, narcissistic, people who are self-aggrandizing, self-absorbed, are the kind of people that cannot and will not be used by God. Because you can't put a stopper into a pass-through and have it function the way it's supposed to function. Because some stuff is not supposed to stop with me It's supposed to flow through me. I'm trying to teach up in here tonight. Some stuff comes to my door, not for me, but for somebody else. And if I'm so self-absorbed, I don't know how to be an intercessor and bless somebody else. I'm the stopping of the flow. But something ought to flow through me to other people. I ought to be in a position to make a way for somebody else. Uh, God, why are you going to let your son go up on that cross? Why, why are you going to let him nail him in his hand and nail him in his feet? Put a crown of thorns on his head after having already beat him in his back? Put a spear in his side? God, God why would you do that? And, and God says, I'm not doing this to him. I'm doing something through him. Because if I do this through him, I'll be able to save others. (sighs) Y'all didn't get it yet. So when the glory of God is upon Jesus, the glory that shines on him is the glory that is the result of being used by God. But it's not new glory for him. It's glory that he had in heaven. Glory that he displayed before Calvary. Glory that he carried through Calvary. And glory that they were able to see after Calvary. Wait a minute, y'all y'all ain't got that yet. Anymore. Okay. Jesus, um, I'm going to show you something that other folk ain't seen. I want, and I'm going to have these other guys so they can witness it. And Mark's gospel says that he sees a theophany. And there in glory, the transfiguration takes place. Y'all remember this now? And Jesus is shown standing next to Moses and Elijah in glory. The glory that Moses requested to see in chapter 33 rest on him when he stands next to Jesus in Mark's gospel. I'm trying to teach y'all something. Y'all better hang in with me now. The glory that he requested but could not see in chapter 34 is the glory that rests upon him next to Jesus in Mark's gospel. Because see, when God gets something done through you, he will give you the desire of your heart and the same glory. Okay, I'm done. I'm going. I'm closing with this because y'all ain't got me yet. I'm still. I'm still working on you because the last thing, the D in this. Now, I said the relationship. You have to relinquish something. You have to have make your request. But finally, you have to become a reflection. The ideal is to be a reflection. Now Moses asked for God to show him his glory. God said, I can't let you get but so close to me. But I'm going to let you get close enough to me that you're going to be able to reflect me in everything you do. So that when Moses comes down from the mountain, Moses has the glory of God upon his face. Moses doesn't know he's got the glory on him. He just knows he's been with God. But his countenance has been changed because he's been in the presence of his glory. And when you've been in the presence of his glory, you become a reflection of the presence you've been around. Help me hear somebody. You hang around with folk that always wear baggy pants pretty soon, you're wearing baggy pants. You hang around folk that always wear band pretty soon, you have band You hang around folk wear shades, you're going to be wearing shades. Because that which you hang around the most has an influence on you. But when you hang around God like Moses did, he became so influenced by the presence of God that the glory of God showed up on his face. And I want to be a reflection of the living God. I want God to be reflected in my life. Come on and give God a praise.